the Lord. Let us continue our worship in the Word of God. Um, <clears throat> we are learning uh, what it means to be followers of Jesus Christ in the end of the last days, and we are studying what it means to be born again. If you look at John chapter 3 and Acts chapter 2, uh, 38, clearly uh, we will see the process of being born again. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a powerful words of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can be born again in Christ. Um, and we've been talking about uh, what it means to be born again. And you might say, why do we talk about this? Because we believe, most of us who are listen, uh, joining us through YouTube or who are here in person, most of us are born-again Christians. Why do we have to talk about this again? Well, for effective evangelism, when we understand clearly the process of regeneration, being born again in Christ, we can really help others, newcomers, to experience powerful new birth in Christ and live a life of true believers. And times are dire, and we are right now in need of expanding the kingdom of God. When things are very chaotic and difficult, this is a time we must go out with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then the question is, can we be effective producing uh, true believers of Jesus Christ? I think that's something we need to really wrestle with as believers who are expanding the kingdom of God. Therefore, we need to really, again, uh, learn these fundamental teachings of the Bible. What does it mean by being born again? Secondly, also, for efficient evaluation of our faith, we need to learn this uh, because it is important for us to relearn about the process of being born again because I believe many of us, maybe we did not really uh, receive the biblically sound teachings on this topic of being born again. So in a way, we can evaluate our own faith, where we are in the journey of becoming more like Christ. My brothers and sisters, faith in Christ is about following Jesus. And it's not really about doing something for the Lord, uh, but we are actually becoming more like Jesus Christ. So the question is, uh, are we living a Christian life? I think more specifically, we can ask, are we living a life of disciple? Are we disciples of Jesus Christ? So for that reason, uh, for last four, uh, four weeks, I think, we've been talking about the process of being born again. If you remember the process of being born again, uh, we talked about the four things. First, you need to repent uh, of your sins to God, the Father. And secondly, we need to believe in Jesus Christ, in the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of Trinity. And also, thirdly, we need to be baptized in water and the Spirit. And fourthly, we need to receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of Godhead. Um, how do we receive the Spirit? I think um, the New Year's Day service, we talked about that. Uh, we need to sought to receive the Spirit. It's not just automatically come to us just because we believe in the person of Jesus. As because we are being baptized in water, somehow the Holy Spirit will just come into our hearts. No, He will never force Himself to come. But we, as a people of God, can ask Him to come. We need to seek God. Please come into my heart. That is why if you look at the book of Acts, uh, all the, the first believers of Jesus, the first Christians, they were praying and asking God to receive the Holy Spirit. And apostles, they were always teaching the people as they evangelize, as they tell them to repent, believe, and be baptized. They always, uh, with this, uh, they always urge people to receive the Spirit. 
And for those who didn't receive the Spirit, still believing as a Christians, they actually lay their hands on them and pray for them and asking God to fill them up with the Holy Spirit. And when that happened, we know the Holy Spirit came to them and they received the Holy Spirit. And that is the process. But maybe as we look into these four things, maybe some of us, you did some parts but you probably, you might not did something. Maybe some of you, you actually repented and believed in Jesus Christ, but somehow you're not being baptized. And I already told you last week, you must be baptized in water. That's very, that's a part of being, being process of being born again. We cannot not be baptized. We have to be baptized in water. Maybe some of you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, even though you've been Christians for a long time. Even for my own uh, life, I was born in a Christian family. I grew up in a Christian family, and I believe in the whole Jesus Christ for a long time in my early days. But until my college year and freshman in college years, uh, finally I received the Holy Spirit. So those things we really need to think about it because most of us, we don't really think about this. Um, and I think that is why many times we might have uh, very difficult Christian life. Uh, imagine the car with a four-cylinder, right? And you need all four cylinders to work properly for a car to go. And especially when they are going uphill, the car needs to work in four cylinders. But let's say if you are only operating in the three-cylinder, the car will have a hard time going up on the hill. Same thing in our Christian life. If we don't have these components really clear, clearly um, done in our lives, imagine it's going to be very difficult for Christians to live a Christian life, especially when things are hard and tough. So, question is, are we operating in only a couple of things in, uh, in, out of these four things, or are we operating in those four things? Repentance, belief, faith in Jesus Christ, Baptism in water and also baptism in the Holy Spirit or receiving the Holy Spirit. And my prayer is that you will uh, go into that. Now, notice uh, when we look into these four things, notice the Trinitarian framework embedded in the process, right? As you are being born again, guess what? Three persons of Godhead is involved, there's a Trinitarian framework embedded in the process. First, we need to repent of your sins toward who? God the Father. We repent of our sins to the Father. Lord, God, we have sinned against you. Forgive us. And secondly, what do we do? We have to believe in the second person of Jesus, the Godhead, Jesus Christ. We need to believe in the person of Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, we need to what? Be, be baptized in water. And lastly, we need to receive the Holy Spirit, the third person of, Jesus, of Godhead. Now, in baptism, that is why we say when we baptize you in water, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a reminding that, that the, the God, Trinitarian God, it is involved in the process of us being born again. And these are the very important steps or four things that all of us must remember uh, and to reevaluate our own faith. At the same time, when we do evangelism, we need to remember these four things. Amen? Now, today what we are going to do is we want to kind of summarize all these four steps and uh, we are going to kind of go a little bit deeper into some of the things. And especially, we're going to do unlearning. And you might say, what? We need to unlearn unbiblical teachings that we've been receiving uh, for a while, especially concerning the process, understanding the process of being born again. So if there is anything that is not clear in terms of the process of being born again, as we have learned, this is a time for us to really relearn that means we need to unlearn those things that we are confused with, unlearn those things that is not really biblical, so that we'll be able to clearly understand 
what it means to be born again and be true believers of Jesus Christ, I should say, for those who are already being born again Christians. Now, unlearning is harder than learning, I think. Uh, I'm still in my school. Um, I'm uh, getting my doctorate, and it's very difficult to learn it in my age at this time, at, at my age right, right now. But I'll tell you, unlearning is probably harder than learning something new. I mean, think about it. The changing the way that you, way you think about something for a long time, that's tough. That's hard, isn't it? Change the way you already have been learned and practiced for a while is very hard to do. Unlearning is very, very hard. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to unlearn some of the unbiblical teachings that we have received. Because we have been taught under certain preachings and teachings which we assume they were right. But when we look into the Bible and study the Bible, that is why, by the way, you cannot rely on just the preacher's sermon or some Christian books. You have to read the Bible on your own. You need to dig in and study the Word of God because we are to test every spirit, the Bible says, especially in the last days. We're living in an age where all kinds of different teachings are coming through media, such as YouTube. You type it in, I'm telling you, and there are great teachers and Bible preachers I admire and respect. And that's great. We have a lot of resources now available for all of us in the, in the globally. But at the same time, there are so many false teachings out there as well. And that's confusing people, confusing the new converts, and even confusing and deceiving, I believe, the elect, actual born-again Christians. If you study the book of Revelations, the Bible says at the end of the days, in the last days, end of the last days, what will happen? Even the elect will be deceived. And that is very, very alarming to all of us. So we need to study that. So all the things that we've been, we've been learned, we've been learning from preaching and teachings that which we assumed they were right, but when you look into the Bible, they might be not true. <laughs> uh, so we need to unlearn. Amen. And that's just what I'm going to do. Let us unlearn some of the things, not everything. I mean, some of the things that we have been believing and practicing in terms of being born again, in terms of in the process of being born again. I'll give you an example. Let's start with the sinner's prayer. You probably, some of you were led into Christian life through sinner's prayer. I did. But this is the general sinner's prayer that we've been using for decades, okay? Even longer, maybe. Usually how the sinner's prayer goes, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I believe you died for my sins so I could be forgiven. I turn from my sins, sinful ways. Now I open the door of my heart to you. And I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you so much for coming into my life and saving me. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, it can be a little bit different, but that's the, the content, I'm sure. General content of sinner's prayer of uh, different forms. But those are the contents of it. And I'm not saying this is wrong. This is fine. And there is some truth to it, I'm sure. But I think as I was talking about those four, according to those four things about being born again, typical sinner's prayer, I think, is inadequate as it only covers only the parts of those four things in the New Testament rebirth. I'm just looking at the book of Acts and try to compare that. And if you look at the book of Acts, none of the apostles ever used such sinner's prayer, right? Always there was a repentance. But in sinner's prayer, it seems there is a repentance. But as we already discussed about that in previous teachings, the repentance should be specific. It cannot be just general. You can just come and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive all the sins. No, no, you, you have to repent toward specifically what is going on in your life. And that is why even after you become a Christian, we continue to repent 
Isn't that true? Because certain things that we did not know before we become a Christian, we thought it was okay to do, but as you, after you be being born again and you now start to understand, oh my goodness, certain things that I used to do thought I was okay with, actually it's not really pleasing to God. And what do you do? You start to repent about that. Sometimes God can convict your heart and say, do you remember the relationship problem that you had back in the days? You know why? And then God kind of convicts you of that, and you repent of that. So the repentance is, in a way, also a process. It's not just one-time thing. That's what we talked about. In the very first process of being born again, repentance is not just one-time instantaneous event. It's a process that you go through, and you truly repent toward God the Father. But in the sinner's prayer, also another thing they lack is what? Even the repent, there is no father mentioned. There's no God mentioned. I'm a sinner. I want to be forgiven. But we have to say, God, please forgive us. Please help us. I repent before you. And God is not mentioned in that. And there is obviously uh, faith component, the second thing. In the sinner's prayer, they say, we say we need to receive Jesus. Lord Jesus, we receive you as a, my personal Savior and Lord. Well, yes, but technically, we must believe in Jesus Christ, the second person of Jesus. We talked about this also. Apostles never taught people to receive Jesus into your heart. He said, they always said, receive what? Holy Spirit in your heart as you believe in the name of Jesus. So you need to believe in Jesus Christ. It's a faith component. So there is some inadequacy there as well. And there's no mention of baptism in water, not at all, in the sinner's prayer. The problem that, I, that we might clearly see in the sinner's prayer is this. It's not complete version of being born again. But what we've been taught, I think, after you do the sinner's prayer, people say, oh, I'm born again Christian. Again, you are treating being process of being born again as a one-time instantaneous thing. It's a process. Even the physical birth is a process. It doesn't happen just one time. The birth process is a long process. By the way, we had a new baby member in our church a couple of weeks ago, two weeks ago, and we are so happy to receive her. But that was a process. Baptism in water, my brothers and sisters, is a being part of being born again. And you cannot take that away from it. Now, receiving the Holy Spirit, again, is not mentioned there either. So, I just want us to see, not, I'm not criticizing sinner's prayer per se. It can do its work in certain points. But we have to clearly know it's inadequate in terms of the process of being born again. Then, we need to probably rethink how we are going to lead others into faith. We need to do it differently, probably better way. We need to update maybe the prayers. We got to do something about that. And if we became Christians somehow through that sinner's prayer, I'm not saying you are not in trouble, no. But what you need to do is you need to evaluate your faith upon those four things. Are you still repenting? Are you, do you believe in the person of Jesus Christ? And were you baptized? And did you receive the Holy Spirit? These things are we need to really ask so that we can evaluate our own faith as well. Amen. And it doesn't happen by step by step in certain point, in certain time. No, it varies because, again, we're not dealing with some kind of equation. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, those four things are in part of being born again, and we can clearly see those components, and we need to evaluate accordingly. Now, another part that I will probably be focusing on is this. We always say, thank you so much for saving me. And we think as soon as we do the sinner's prayer, as soon as we believe in Jesus Christ, we profess in our faith, or sometimes people say, as soon as I get baptized, voila, I'm born again, praise the Lord. Well, let's think about, are we completely saved? A lot of people think so. People say, I'm going to heaven. We need to understand the process of salvation. 
What does it mean by being born again? I've been talking about this a lot, but in the previously, but let's just go back again. So people are often told that they are saved. Soon as you believe in Jesus Christ, do the sinner's prayer. Thank God that God has saved you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I think, however, they are in the process of being born again. That I, I don't doubt. But they're only half born again. It's not completed yet. They didn't get even baptized yet. They didn't even go through the receiving of the Holy Spirit yet. And how can we say, I think it's very dangerous to say, oh, as soon as you do this prayer in this meeting, in this revival meeting, raise your hands, you want to be a Christian, and you're done and you are saved. You know, I do a lot of missions work. We do, our church does a lot of missions. Um, And when I travel around the world in doing the missions work and involving the evangelism, this is the way that we do. We think a lot of times when the team goes out to the the mission field and, and the people respond to the gospel as they come to the altar, and every time you'll notice, they will raise hands over and over and over and over again. And we think we save them all. Salvation has come upon this, this, nation, uh, this, this nation. That's what we think. If we just calculate the number of altar calls response, I'm telling you, this country, the whole world was probably saved three times over. That many people probably raised their hands and come to the altar at one point. I don't know how many times I came to the altar every time the, every time the revivalist and evangelist says, come to the altar to receive Jesus Christ, and I was there. Next year from now, I struggled through my high school or junior high school years, and some people showed up and do the same thing, and I was the one, first one to go out there and say, raising hands, say, please forgive me, please save me again. And we see this process and process and process. I think that is something is not right in there. Then what is to be saved? Saved from what? Well, there are two understanding of saving, salvation. First thing is, uh, this idea of save being, being saved, salvation actually means, some people say, is a safe from hell, right? Safe from hell. It's like insurance policy for the next world. And it is true, yes, God will save us from hell at the judgment day if you are a believer of Jesus Christ and if you are born again and true believers. But if you cannot treat Salvation as a false, uh, as an insurance policy. Probably you hear this a lot, and some of us, I also use this too. If you die tonight, would you be in heaven or hell? We ask that questions and we try to evangelize. But what I understood, that's what I did too a lot of times. But as I was reading through the book of Acts, I had, do not see any apostles doing that in the New Testament. I think it is American event, uh, revivalism that kind of started doing that. Receive and be safe from hell. Don't go to hell. But you know, if you look at the, the book of Acts, apostles, this is what they say. If you live to tomorrow, they're not concerned about if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? No, you know what they will say? If you live tomorrow... Will you be living in the kingdom of light or kingdom of darkness? Would you live tomorrow? How you are going to live tomorrow? See, they were more concerned with life than death. Being a Christian, being a believer of Jesus Christ. As you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as you repent and be baptized and receive the Spirit, and guess what? Live your life. How are you going to live your life tomorrow? Then I even go to the death part. The judgment day, heaven and hell, that's the last things to come. But they say, how you are going to live tomorrow? Are you going to be the people of God? Are you going to be uh, the people of darkness? That was their question. They were so concerned with that. See, they were not preaching the gospel of being safe from hell. Listen to this very carefully. They were preaching the gospel of being salvaged from sins. Salvaged from sin. That is the New Testament understanding of salvation. Salvaging, not 
being saved, being salvaged. By the way, the word salvation is not being safe. The mean of the word salvation is being salvaged. Okay? Jesus did not come to save us from hell. You know why? Saving you from hell is bonus. It's done. That's part of it. But you have to understand clearly, why did Jesus come? He came to what? Save us from sins, isn't it? Sins. He's not a hell savior, but he is a sin savior. No wonder he's called the Lamb of God who came to take away what? Sins of the world. Right? Not just to pay for them for their sins. No. He said, I'm going to take away sin from you. I'm going to take it away from you. It's not that I pay the price for you. Done. No. I'm going to take that sin away from you. That's why Jesus came. I'm going to salvage you. I'm going to restore you back. Until your sins are taken away from your life, you are not fully saved. Do you understand? We are being saved, therefore, right now. God is actually saving us from sin. That's what we call sanctification, isn't it? We are being saved right now. It's not complete yet. It's not just one-time thing and I'm saved from hell. No, one time I'm across the line. That's not the point. That's not the full picture of salvation. See, we're not saved, not only saved from, we need to understand, we have to save toward. We are saved from sin and death, and we are saved toward the sanctity, meaning holiness. And we are saved for, therefore, for the service of the kingdom of God. Amen. Do you understand? We are saved from sin, salvaged, being salvaged from sin, so that he can what? Save us toward the holy life, that we can live a holy life now, and then so that we can be saved for the service to, for the kingdom of God. That is complete picture of salvation. That, I believe, is the understanding of salvation in the New Testament. Not being saved from hell, being safe place. You are being salvaged, being salvaged from sin. Becoming more like Christ. If we think being saved is just being in the safe place in hell and in the future, by doing something, just one-time act, that's not salvation. Salvation is becoming more like Christ. You are being salvaged from sin. You are, therefore, we, you, are, you are being pushed toward the holy life. You are led to later glorified body. And you will be from at the end, the sins will be taken away completely from us. And Jesus said, look, Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? I think we need to clearly understand that. See, God is in the business of salvaging, restoring people, not putting you to the safe place. That is not God's business. If that's the case, how come so many Christians, as you become a Christian, you still go through difficult times and even till death, and then all kinds of dangers are waiting for you? We have a problem if you think that, oh, God's going to just put us in the safe place. No. We are being saved from sin. We are saved toward the holy life. We are saved for the service for the kingdom of God in the future. God is in the business of what? Restoring people. See, salvation, therefore, I believe, biblically speaking, it means taking what has been thrown away as a rubbish and making into something useful again. Salvaging idea. Do you understand? God is what? We are, became rubbish because of our sin. We, we have lost the image of, of, of God in a way. We are damaged. We are, in a way, we don't know what it means to be what we are supposed to be. Like a rubbish, useless, because we are spiritually dead. 
Remember? That's sin. But as we believe in the Lord Jesus, repenting of our sin, and as we are being baptized into His family and being saved, receiving the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are, God is making you to be salvaging you, restoring you to be useful again. Now you can have a relationship with God. Now you can worship God. Now you can come to the Lord. That's salvation, my brothers and sisters. I believe it's not just a ticket to a safe place. Fire insurance, no. It's to be salvaged, restored to the original image that God has intended for us to be. So you can love God freely. So you can serve Him. You can connect to Him. Man, that's what He means by being saved. Therefore, I'll tell you this. I dare to say, whoever listening right now and all the people in this room, I'll tell you, no one in this room is fully saved. None of us. We might have, we have our, some of us, we have an assurance of salvation because we have a personal relationship with God. And God continues to say, I have saved you. Don't worry. I'm with you. I am going to help you. That's why we know. But in terms of the process, we're not fully yet there. We are being saved. Amen. We are being saved. You are in the process still. So salvation is a process, isn't it? Repentance is a process. Being born again is a process. What? Salvation is also a process. It's not an equation. It's not just a one-time instantaneous event. That's why you need to be very careful how we understand salvation and how we share the gospel and leading people to salvation. Amen? It's not just because I share the gospel and they, believe, they, seem, they seem to believe it, and guess what? They're really, No. I'm being saved. And that's why God wants to complete the work in me that He began in me. And one day, yes, one day I will be totally saved. Amen. I'll be totally saved. You'll be totally saved. If you don't get that, my brothers and sisters, we are in trouble understanding who we are. Okay? One day, you and I will be totally saved. I'll be totally saved. I cannot wait for that day. You see, I'm, my spirit is saved, but my body is still not saved. It needs to be redeemed. Our body will become like Jesus' body in the future. That's what the Bible teaches us. Even our body will be saved. Even part of my heart is not still, still being saved. Isn't it? We have a two nature still fighting within us, meaning we are being saved. That's why there's a struggle. Not all of inside of me and outside of me is not saved yet. My, all of inside of me are saved, not saved yet, but I'm, I am not what I ought to be at the same time. I'm not what I was before. It's a process of becoming more like Christ. That's being saved. So I'm just being saved from something, but I'm being saved to something and for something. That's salvation process. I'm being saved from something at the same time. I'm being saved to something, and I'm, saving, I'm being saved for something. And God is able to save all of us in Christ Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Now, let us think deeply. Move on. If you think being born again is just a one-time thing, receiving as soon as you believe, you receive, you're done. Well, if you think that way, basically you are concerned only with getting you across the line, right? You cross the Jordan River, there's a promised land, that's all that is. As soon as I crossed it, I'm okay. But that's not how, that's how a lot of Christians today understand what salvation is. But in the Bible, that's not how they understood it. You know how they understood it? Salvation is understood as the way. The way. On the way. That's salvation. Salvation is understood as the way. 
Those who are on the way are called disciples. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm on the way to being saved. I'm not there yet, but I'll get there. I'm the follower. Pilgrims we are. That's the understanding of salvation. And our aim, therefore, in evangelism is not to get the people across the line. No. But to get them to be on the way with Christ. That is the aim. We help people to see the truth and they can start a journey of being processed, of being born again. On the way. No wonder Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I'm the line you need to cross, right? I am the way, meaning until the very end, you need to follow him, and that, then you will see the salvation. And I'll tell you, if you understand then evangelism as making disciples, it will take a lifetime to make disciples. It's not, it doesn't take just one time, one couple months. No, it takes lifetime to make disciples, isn't it? Jesus didn't command us to get decisions, but to make disciples. Let me say it again. Jesus didn't command us to get decisions from people, for people, but to make disciples out of them, teaching them to obey all that he commanded. Right? Make sure they decide to follow me. That's what you know. You make sure they follow me and obey my command. And if our objective is to get converts, yes, you will focus on justification. You're focusing on believing in that moment only. But if your objective is to make disciples, I think we will realize that the justification is only the way to sanctification. Right? I think that will happen. Meaning, Jesus, if you just objective is that you want to make the converts out of people, crossing the line, Jesus is seen as a Savior only. He will save you from hell to the other side, to heaven. Great. Believe in Him. He's Savior. But Jesus is not only Savior. He's a Lord. He's our Savior and the Lord, meaning He's going to lead us, change us. He's going to help us to go through. We need to be very clear in our evangelism, my brothers and sisters, therefore. If you want to make only converts, you preach only to believe with some repentance. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That that will do it. As soon as you believe, you cross the line. Great, you are saved from hell. That's how you make converts. But if you want to make disciples, followers of Jesus Christ, until the very end, what do you do? You preach preach the gospel of what? Repent, believe, be baptized, and receive the Spirit. Four things must be included. That's how we make making disciples. That's how we make disciples. That's how we do evangelism. Let us think again how we do evangelism. Amen. Time is dire. Many people are being deceived. Many people are literally going away from God. So if you want to make disciples, you preach those four things. That's the gospel. But notice the baptism and reception of the Holy Spirit have little to do with being saved from hell. Notice that. Baptism and reception of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do really with the saving from hell. If that's the only objective that we have, just make sure they cross the line, save, save place from hell, then where does baptism fit in? Fit in? Where, where does uh, uh, the receiving the Spirit fit in? I cannot see anything. They have everything to do with being salvaged from sin. If your objective is to just to escape from hell, you will not see any point of being baptized or receiving the Holy Spirit. As long as I believe, I'm done. What else do I need? Right? But if your objective is being salvaged from sin, to be restored by God, to be useful to God again, then I'll tell you, baptism is needed. Then what? Receiving the Holy Spirit is required. Must. Jesus never said, please think about getting considered to receive Holy Spirit. No, he said, 
Make sure you receive the Holy Spirit. And I, I hope that I'm getting something for you guys. This is a very, very important point that I'm making today. I'm summarizing all that we've been, I've been thinking about, I've been preaching about. And I hope you're with me. Let us think further. You know, those people who are only interested in the minimum try to escape from hell. I call them minimum Christian. Minimum Christian. As long as I'm saved, I'm okay. I don't want to be judged at the end. end. I won't go to hell. I'm just going to. But those who people who want everything God can give you to live right now and be useful to God to serve His kingdom, and I call them maximum Christians. You can call it immature or mature Christians. I remember when I was young, when I was presented with the gospel. I was presented with the gospel about, about being saved from hell. So I was so scared. And a little boy, I said, I want to believe. I don't want to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to hell. And I said, oh, I, I better believe. So I would raise my hands and I said, I'm going to believe. And then I felt bad. Because as I was reading through the Bible, I'm talking about when I was in elementary school. As I, you know, say, we need to worship God. We need to. But the thing is, you see, I felt like I, I, I'm responding to God out of fear of being thrown away to hell if I don't comply. So I felt bad. I said, isn't it supposed to be, we're supposed to praise God and worship God with really gladness, clapping our hands and be joyful? How come I have to do all these things and make sure I don't do all bad things so that I'll be able to, he might not going to be throwing me away, throw, throw me into the hell. And I want to be saved from that. So I believe in Jesus Christ because I don't want to go to hell. I felt like then that's very primitive. That's very basic. So I, I asked my question to my grandma. I said, I don't know. Is it right for me to believe in Jesus because I don't want to go to hell? And she said, she said, of course. That's a start. You don't want to be judged. That's a start. You don't want to be punished. That's a start. But he, she told me this, however, if you get to know him, that's more than just escaping hell. It's more than that. It's more God will be your father. She said, God will be your Abba, Abba, meaning daddy. He will be with you. He will help you in the bad times. He will be, bless you in your life, and he will take care of you. And that's something you can experience. And that's why we believe. She's talking about, I'm talking about minimum Christians. She's talking about maximum Christians. That's, at least that's my term. My question to you is this. What kind of Christians are we going to produce in this church, Petra? Minimum Christian or maximum Christians who will get everything that God is offering to us? You can have it. The God, can be, God is with you and you can live a life of holiness in Christ with God. Amen. Which two people want to be saved from? Hell or for their sins? See, I think anybody is a fool if they don't want to be saved from hell. Even non-Christians, if you say, go to hell, I'm sure they will be very offended, even though they don't believe in hell. Isn't that kind of funny? Right? So one atheistic friend, he was like very adamant about not believing in God. And he was always making fun of me. He was in high school. I said, fine, I'll just pray that God will curse you and send you to hell. Well, he was so offended. And I said, why are you so offended if you don't believe in God and if you don't believe in hell? I just don't like it. Don't say such things to me. Again, anybody is a fool if they don't believe, if, if they don't want to be saved from hell. But there is a different kind of offer. Do you want to say goodbye to your sins and your past, your way of living before? Do you want to live right and be free from your sin? That was what Jesus was offering to the people, isn't it? Come to the altar. You'll be free. You will live a different life. Amen. You'll be free from sin. It's a process, but I'll be with you. I will make sure you will be free from it. I will take away all your sins. 
I will take away all your sins. And I'll make you holy like me. Do you believe in me? Jesus asked all of us. I'm here to save you, to take away all the sins of the world. And I believe people in, in the deep down into their heart, people want to live better life. Isn't it? That is why, do you know how we know if people are responding to the gospel message? If, look at Jesus. The prostitutes, tax collectors came to Jesus. They said, how can I change my life? Right? How can I change now? How can I? They didn't say, can you save me from hell <laughs> in the future? No, he said, now, how can I live right? What should I do? That's a good sign, isn't it? How do I know that you are really responding to the gospel, that you know your life direction right now, something is wrong with it, and you really want to make it right? You want to make it right with God. But good news, my brothers and sisters, is this. Good news of Christianity good news of the gospel, good news of Jesus Christ is not that you must live right. That's not, the, that's not it. But you know what it is? Good news is that you can live right. There's a difference. You must live right? No, you can live right. See, that's the uniqueness of the Christianity compared to other religious systems, Right? Think about other religious systems. All other religions except Christianity, they say you must live right. Then you will be accepted, right? You got to do holy living in order for you to be accepted, to be justified. Your good deeds will outweigh bad deeds, right? That's what people say. That's what a lot of us, we think. That's why we want to do something. You know, a sanctification comes first before the justification. The justification is the last thing. Let me weigh your good deeds versus bad deeds and see. That's all the religious system. Christianity is the other way around, isn't it? Only in Christianity, guess what? God justifies you before sanctifies you. Let me say it again. In Christ, God justifies you before he sanctifies you. The justification comes first, unlike all other religions, and then the sanctification follows. He accepts you as a adopted sons and daughters. Then he puts you right. He doesn't say, when you put yourself right, I will adopt you. He doesn't say that. But believe in me. Repent and come to me. I will adopt you. And I'm going to give you my spirit, and I'm going to make you holy. That's the difference. That's the good news, isn't it? You come as you are now. Have faith and come as you are now. How dirty you are doesn't matter. What kind of life you live does not matter. You come now, and I'm going to justify you in Christ, and then I'm going to begin a good work in you. I'm going to make you right. It's not your job. It's my job to make you right. That's the good news. In a way, he only justifies us so that we can be sanctified. Isn't it incredible? He justifies us so that he can sanctify us. He only forgives so that we can live right. <laughs> he only forgives so that we can live right. Now, which gospel are you going to preach? Insurance policy for hell and death? Or new life that will lead straight into heaven? The holiness that leads to happiness. Are we preaching that? Or are we preaching the happiness and the holiness later? Nowadays, people want to here the other way around, right? They want happiness first <laughs> and holiness hereafter, right? Make me happy now 
In the holiness? Okay, fine, I'll be holy in the future. Did you say the other way? Holiness will lead you to happiness. Now, that's why you see all kinds of different false gospel. Best life now. God's going to make you happy. God's going to give you all the things that you can imagine now. Good. You're going to enjoy your life. Great. And the holiness comes later. That's why they don't want to talk about sin anymore. We don't want to condemn people anymore. Right? You hear all kinds of these teachings out there today. Is that a gospel? I don't know. You decide. For me, as I look into the Bible, I don't see that this is from the Bible. Best life now? <laughs> you kidding me? But we are called to live a holy life, different, set-apart life in this life because we are sons and daughters of God, because we are justified already, and God is sanctifying us now. Guess what? We are, we are to live a holy life, different life, different system, different operation. Amen. And hereafter, glory comes. Jesus will make it right. He will come. Remember we talked about the last things? He will come and rule, and you will be rewarded. Happiness hereafter. See, God wants you to give you holiness here and happiness hereafter. That's his priority. His priority is not your happiness today. His priority is what? Your holiness in Christ. Set that crate. That's why so many people are drawn to the gospel taught, teaches happiness first and holiness later. Maybe that's why our church is not that popular. But it's okay. The Bible says so. We follow it. Amen. We are the followers of Jesus Christ. Those who, are, who say being saved simply means being safe will not know where the baptism in water and spirit fit in. But salvation is a process of... Um, process. It starts with justification when God accepts you and forgives you. And it goes into sanctification where God makes you holy. And it will end with the glorification when God gives you a new body in a new heaven and new earth, a new kingdom. Everything is put back into the original intent of God back in the days when God created the world. Some, that's why some theologian says we're going back to Eden, the perfect world, where sinless environment. It's going to be beautiful. And that's a full salvation. Therefore, I am being saved. And I need all those four basic things to be salvaged. Therefore, we need to be very clear biblically understanding salvation understanding the process of regeneration. We need to know this, my brothers and sisters. Then we can worship Him better, don't you think? We can give thanks even more. We can depend on Him even more today because, yes, I'm justified in Christ by faith, and now I'm being sanctified by the, receiving the Holy Spirit. Amen. As I repented to the Heavenly Father and believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, I'm justified. And I'm living a new life, and that symbol is a baptism. I'm baptized. Then you will know your identity clearly. You will know where you are in your faith journey. You will not struggle when the hard things come, when the difficulty shows up in our face. You will say, guess what? I am being saved. God is in control. He's going to save me until the end. He's going to make it right. Therefore, I will not fear. I'll take heart and I'll move on. I'm going to move one by one with Christ. Amen? That's salvation. 
That's being born again. That's being true believers. My prayer is that we get that straight. That will affect how we live our lives as a true believer, and they will affect how we do evangelism. And I want to challenge all of us because I know our church, are, we are into evangelism, expanding the kingdom of God. That's our mission. We need to rethink how we're going to do this. How are you going to present the message? How are you going to lead someone to Christ? It doesn't happen one day. It's a lifetime. Make disciples in and through your life. That's why evangelism is not just event. It's not just thing that you do. It's your life. Amen. It just flows through you. As you live your life, and God, as God blesses you, and as God provides you, as you live a different system, different operation, people say, hey, I want to live like that. Hey, I want to be like that. How come he's operating not in fear when the COVID is everywhere? Omicron, oh man, we are in crazy world. What are we going to do? People complain about everything now, including me. But when we take heart, repent, and come back, and we say, I believe in you, I'm going to move forward by faith, not by fear. I'm telling you, my brothers and sisters, people will see you differently and say, what is going on in their lives? That's evangelism. <laughs> That's why evangelism needs to be done in words. We must share the message. That's part of it. That's the most important thing. You share the word of God, but also we do evangelism in deed, how we live out what we say about Christ. Amen. That's how we're going to conclude this series. We need to unlearn some of the things that we've been taught, maybe. We need to commit ourselves to the true biblical teachings, meaning study the Bible more. Read the Bible. As for me and my family, we say we are going to have a, no matter what, we're going to have a family devotions as much as we can. We're going to have communion in our family. We are going to teach the Bible to my kids. I want to make sure, as we know, all kinds of different ideology, all kinds of crazy things are being taught to our schools, in our schools today. As a parent, as a Christian parent, what are you going to do? And I know so many, so many people that I know, they are actually turning into the homeschooling. I think there's a good value to it. That's a great choice. I'm not saying it's not a bad choice. But those who cannot do the homeschooling, what are we going to do? I think we need to choose today. Are we going to study the Bible and teach the Bible? Amen? Are we going to show our faith to our kids? That's evangelism. Why? Our kids still, they need to make the decision. They need to really what? Commit themselves to follow Jesus. They're too young right now to know what it is. But we teach them so that we can lead them into discipleship, right? The path on the way. It is my prayer that will happen. The way we live our lives, the way we do evangelism. I pray that these teachings for last four weeks, or including today, will really help you to strive toward the maximum maturity in your faith. Amen? Let's pray. Please respond to the Word. Think about those four things. Where are you now? And let us commit ourselves. Lord, use our church. Use each one of us to live a life of gospel. And we want to evangelize. We want to produce true believers in the last days when things are hard and difficult and confusing. We really want to make sure. We want to be faithful. Let's pray.